Tonight's reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It'll be verses uh, 17 through to 34. On the Pew Bibles in front of you, that's page 930. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat, for as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognising the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgement on himself. That's why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgement. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. When I come, I'll give you further instructions. Friends, we are going to come to this passage, and I'm sure it's, uh, it's quite familiar to you. Right? As we come to Lord's Supper, maybe the verses 23 to 26, you could just rattle off in your head. But we're going to explore this passage in its depth tonight, uh, where it sits in 1 Corinthians. And so before we do, I'm going to pray. And uh, this is the moment where together we're going to come before the Lord. So let me pray. Our good and our gracious God, we thank you for your word. And tonight, especially as we look at the Lord's Supper, what it looked like for the Corinthian church, what it means for us today, please help us to see it afresh, uh, to, to know what it is that you're calling us to, and meet with us by your spirit with the person Jesus. May my words be yours, and may we know what it means to be your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we come to the Lord's table together, and as we do this in a regular fashion, we do it once a month, uh, we've come to this passage tonight. When you think about the Lord's Supper, what do you think is going on? What is happening? What is the significance? What is the value? Now, when we looked at this passage, perhaps you're asking, well, is it dangerous? Is there some kind of like... Bad things that can happen as we come to the Lord's table. Like if we didn't do this, what would we miss out on? Or what does it signify when we do it? It's very important questions to ask. And I said before as I came up, this is a really familiar passage to us. In a sense, we go through it quite regularly. But I imagine the kind of surrounding context of where, that cha- where this verse sits in the chapter is a little bit foreign to us. And so I hope that as we look at it tonight, as we come to the Lord's table later... Uh, And as we come to it every week, we'll come with a bit more of a holistic and a fuller appreciation of what it means uh, and what it doesn't mean uh, to come to the Lord's table, so that we can both honour God and we can honour one another 
uh, as we come before it together. Now, if you're not aware, as we come to the Lord's table, and you might have picked this up as we do the practice each month, is that in some way we look to the past, in some way we engage in the present, and in some way we look to the future. That's our practice each time. And so that's going to be our kind of trajectory as we look at this passage together. We'll look at the past and then into the present moment and then to the future. But in the middle, or kind of two-thirds through, we will do the Lord's Supper together. We'll come and do communion. So we'll do the past and the present, and then we'll come to the table, and then we'll continue on with the, the future. Does that make sense, our trajectory together? Yep, a few nods. That's good. Firstly, to the past. Casting our minds back. Now, we're going to firstly look at this letter, the, the situation and also the problems that are going on with this church in Corinth. Now, church life in Corinth 2,000 years ago looked quite different to this. Uh, it wasn't a nice auditorium in this kind of way. It was most likely, or was, in homes. It was probably in the homes of people who were more wealthy in the church, who were able to have people over in their place uh, and as the Christians would gather, they'd pray, they'd sing hymns, they would um, in some way engage with the Word of God or the stories of Jesus. And then particularly to this passage tonight, they would have the Lord's Supper. But the Lord's Supper for them was like a big meal. It was an all-in thing. It was a full meal where they'd have the bread at the beginning, they'd have the wine towards the end representing Jesus' body and blood. And it was a time where they were very much called to be unified. You remember Jesus and you're unified uh, in the people that you are. However, in Corinth, there's a problem. Now, you heard it before, and we'll read it uh, again. Now, Paul, he's so strong here. Verse 17, In the following directives, I have no praise for you. Your meetings do more harm than good. Imagine that. Your meetings more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there's divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. Like, you hear the weight of what Paul was saying there. Like When you come to church, you were better before you entered than when you leave. Your meetings are doing so much more harm. Why? Not necessarily because you have the wrong doctrine. Well, they, in a sense, do. But there's divisions among them. They're divided as a people. Now, this division has been a bit of a theme throughout Corinthians uh, in the whole letter. It was division at the beginning regarding leaders. There's been division over their sexual ethic. There's been division over litigation, about idol food. And in this moment, when they come to the Lord's table, where division should never happen, it is happening for the Corinthian church when they're celebrating the Lord's Supper. And so then Paul says, verse 21, for when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another person gets drunk. The picture is when they're coming to like, have the meal together, a group of them are going off to do it by themselves in a private room, uh, their own exclusive bunch. And it seems as though they're taking the majority or eating all the food before the other people get there, who are presumably more poor, which is why Paul says, no, are you not concerned oh, you are um, humiliating those who have nothing. It would be like when we have cheap eats, and if we're all to head out there, and some group of us takes all the food, or pretty much most of it, heads up upstairs and then locks the door and says, this is our, our meal together. We're not having any of you guys in. That's the kind of real picture that's going on in Corinth. The popular crowd, the in crowd, the rich probably in this case, do not want to associate with people who aren't them. For people who are different from them, for people who are lower on the social spectrum to them, 
that will have nothing to do with them, even though they are brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul is saying that is not on. He will go as far to say, verse 20, to go back, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper. You're not actually practicing the Lord's Supper at all. Even though you say that you are, it is not that. The place of unity has been a place of division. You've turned what is meant to be a representation of the gospel into something which is the opposite. You're behaving just like the world around you. That's been the Corinthian problem throughout. They're adopting the secular values and then bringing it into the church. Church life is looking like the cultural Corinthian life. And that is not on. So what's Paul's solution? He puts on his gospel glasses. And in a sense, the clearest, strongest pair that he can. And he just lays out a theology of the Lord's Supper. He lays out exactly what it is that we and the Corinthians are doing. He takes them directly to the person and work of Jesus. And these are the pas- this is the passage that's quite familiar to us. We look back to the cross. We look back to what Jesus has done. For I see from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Paul is saying this is from Jesus. He instituted this at his last supper before uh, he died on the cross. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And we had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. At the first point of call, he's saying remember. Remember. And he's going to say it again when he's uh, to take the cup. Now, the bread represents Jesus' body, broken for us, broken for you. If we had use in uh, English, we'd say use, but us. Jesus has given his whole body a sacrifice, a sacrifice to forgive our sins, a sacrifice to unite us back with God because that was broken, and a sacrifice to unite us back to each other because that was broken too. Corinthian, Norwegian, Remember this. This is what God is calling us to do. Remember Jesus' body given for you and to be thankful. And then Paul goes on, verse 25. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Now we know the cup, it signifies Jesus' death, the pouring out of God's wrath uh, in a way. And the blood spilled inaugurates the new covenant. Now, covenant, it just means like a commitment. Commitment or a contract. Um, And in this case, it's between God and us. God and his people. Now, what happens when Jesus dies on the cross and rises again is that a new covenant comes into play. And it's based purely and only on Jesus' work. On grace alone. Not on our work or our effort. God's commitment is not based on our performance. God's Uh, Love for us is not based on our good works or our level of holiness. It is all and only in the finished work of Jesus. And that is such a beautiful, a good and reassuring thing. Jesus' blood spilt for us means that we have peace with God. Now, one thing that means for us in our daily life is that we don't need to fear. The new covenant means that we don't need to fear. We can rest in and celebrate Jesus' work for us. We don't need to fear if we want to come to Jesus for the very first time and ask for forgiveness. And we don't need to fear if we're asking for forgiveness for the hundredth time or the thousandth time. 
Because the new covenant means that Jesus' work counts, not ours. We have faith in him. His righteousness is credited to us. Our failures don't prevent our relationship with Jesus. He has paid for our failures. The new covenant means we don't need to fear. And that's what happens when we look to the past. We remember Jesus' work for us. We remember the new covenant. We remember that we don't need to fear because we're in Christ. That's what happens when we look to the table. Forgiveness because of Jesus' sacrifice. But then that brings us to the present. Let's look into the past. What about now? Living in this moment, living in the present. Now, when we look in the Bible, we see that when we come to the Lord's table, it is remembrance and it is reflection, but it is more than that. It is more than just remembering. Flick back with me uh, to chapter 10, verse 16. This is when we looked at idols and food sacrifice to idols, that kind of thing. But he spoke specifically about the Lord's Supper, and I said we'd come back to it. This is it. Verse 16. He says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving, for which we give thanks, a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Now, the word participation there, it can be translated fellowship, It also can be translated communion. That's why we use the word communion. This is where it comes from. Now, the Lord's table has two aspects of communion that is going on. There's communion with Christ, and then there's communion with one another. Now, that communion, as opposed to union being one way, communion is a two-way thing. There's a two-way relationship that is going on. Firstly, to comment on the communion that we have with each other. Communion, the Lord's Supper when we do this, is not a solo act. Technically, you cannot do it by yourself. That would be like saying you're part of a team, but then you never actually go and play with the team. Communion is a community thing. We commune, we join with one another. That's what happens at the Lord's Supper. And that's why Paul is so upset with the Corinthians He says, there is division among you and you're coming to the place of unity. That that just cannot happen. There can be no racial divide. There can be no social divide. There can be no intellectual divide. There can be no maturity divide. There can be no division for those who are in the family of God. If you're in the family of God, then you're welcome at the table. I'm sure you're familiar with the story of the Titanic, or at least the movie, where you got Jack and Rose. And in that movie, you recall the ship, it had lots of uh, social classes, first class, second class, and third class. You know, Jack wants to eat with Rose, but can't. He finds a way. Rose wants to be with Jack, can't, because there's this social class system. Now, it wasn't in the movie, but the New York Times put out an article after uh, the accident, and it had two columns of people in it, lost and saved. That's all that mattered. There was no class system that mattered, just lost and saved. And when we come to the table, that's all that matters. If you're saved, you're in the family of God, that is it. We are united in the Lord Jesus. Nothing else should separate us. The second aspect of communion is that we're communing with Christ, communing with Jesus himself. Now, when we eat, when we have supper, it's a relational thing. When you eat with someone else, there's that relational element when you have a meal. 
Communion is an invitation to have fellowship with Jesus. And I know that sounds kind of almost too good to be true and amazing, but it's an invitation to enjoy and experience Christ's presence. And that is possible because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come. One part of his work is to connect us with Jesus, like an ambassador or like a telephone, direct connection to Jesus. And so when we take communion, there's an opportunity for us to experience part of the presence of what it means to be with Jesus. The bread and the juice, they're just physical, but they're signs that point to the spiritual reality, the spiritual presence of Christ with us. And so we have that opportunity. Together, when we come and we eat the table, we have that opportunity where his presence and his love becomes tangible. Like take, for example, with my kids. Uh, my middle one is named Belle. And at the moment, Belle, she loves this thing called the run-up cuddle. Whenever I get home or leave, she's like, run-up cuddle, Daddy. And she runs to the end of the, the house, runs up to me, we cuddle, we spin around, uh, put her back down, and then I leave her, I come home, whatever it may be. Now, before that moment, I don't love her less. And after that moment, I don't love her more. But in that moment, she experiences my love for her. She experiences her father's love. When we come to the table, it is like that. God doesn't love us more after. He doesn't love us less before. But there's an opportunity for us to experience that communion with Jesus. That's the invitation. And so with that in mind, there is a spiritual significance that is going on. And that is further why Paul is so upset. Why Paul is so upset with the Corinthians and the division at the table. Remember, if you come back to chapter 11, he's, going as, he's saying that there's division and there's pride towards the Lord. So don't take communion. Don't take it. It's an important and a serious moment. Coming to the table, it's not avocado toast on a Sunday morning with a coffee. It's communing with the Lord, communing with one another. And there is such a way to come to the table in a way that's unworthy. Now, when Doug read it the first time, I'm sure it was probably heavy as you had it read. And it's going to be just as heavy as I read it again. Verse 27. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That's heavy, right? There's a beautiful invitation. But there is the comment to ensure that you've discerned the body, discerned the blood of the Lord too. So what does it mean to come in an unworthy manner? How could you come in an unworthy way to the table? I'm going to suggest three ways. The first one is you come with, an un, with unrepentant sin. If you come to the table knowing there's some sinful aspect of your life, and you're like, I'm not going to get rid of that. I don't even care. I'm not going to give it to the Lord. I'm not going to ask for his forgiveness. Then don't come to the table asking for the forgiveness of the Lord, but knowing full well you have no intent of actually asking for forgiveness for every part of your life. This is not a comment where if you struggle with sin, the table is for the strugglers. The table is not for the unrepentant. And so it is a warning, a comment to say that if you're not a follower of Jesus, then this moment isn't for you. 
you're a witness of this moment. And if you're a person who's not a follower of Jesus tonight, then you're so welcome amongst us. We want you to be here, to hear of the gospel, to hear of who Jesus is, to meet with us. But don't commune with Jesus if you have no intention of him being your Lord and your Saviour. The second way to come unworthily to the table is a, with a spirit of kind of self-righteousness. Like if you think, oh, I'm good enough, I'm worthy to come to the table, then that's actually being unworthy. Like if you think that, oh, I've done enough now or I've worked hard enough, I've been faithful for long enough, that's not worthily coming. That's unworthy. We come to the table knowing that we need Jesus. We need him for our salvation. We need him to continue to walk the life with him. So there's no pride in coming here. And then the third way, and the way that is really most prominent that's going on in the mind of Paul here is when there's division between us. It's not about if there's difference. There can be lots of difference between us, but there can be no division between us. When there's a problem between you and another one in our church, and that's what Paul is saying in verse 29, we need to discern the body of Christ, meaning the body of his church. This is what he's saying the private suppers are. That's division. Don't create division. Don't claim unity with Jesus and his church. The same can be said of forgiveness. We cannot ask for forgiveness of God but not be willing to forgive our other brothers and sisters or at least willing to begin that journey with them. We can't harbour and promote division. We can't have private cliques. We can't have the in crowd and the out crowd. That would be drinking unworthily. We are all equal. We all come before Jesus the same. We commune at the Lord's table together. Another way to put that would be what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 on the Sermon on the Mount. He says when you come to give your gift at the altar and you have a division with your brother or sister in Christ, leave your gift at the altar, first go be reconciled, and then come and give your gift. Paul is saying something similar here. Be unified with the church. Be working towards that unity, behave in that way, have that fellowship, celebrate that in the Lord's Supper. And then Paul goes on to say there's consequences if we don't do that. Now, this is a hard word. Now, the consequences uh, is, discipline, is judgment as discipline. Reading in verse 30, that is why many among you are sick and weak, and a number of you have fallen asleep which is a nice way of saying they died. But if you were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, we are judged in this way by the Lord. We are being disciplined, so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. Now, we don't talk about this a lot. It doesn't come up, in a sense, regularly. Um, God is a gracious God. It's an uncomfortable verse, and I don't just want to gloss over it. It's real. It's significant. We read about, or you can read about in Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira, where they were deceptive to the people of God and to God himself, uh, and they died. It happens in the first church. It can happen today. Now, of course, we're thankful that God doesn't act in this way all the time. We're all here. That's a beautiful thing. I'm sure that we've done some wrong things. But in his mercy, he is gracious. But don't let his graciousness mean that you take him lightly. Don't let his graciousness mean that you treat his grace cheaply. When we walk with Jesus, we're unified in his church. This is serious and it's important business. It is life-giving business. And to be clear, 
just in case there was any confusion there. This is not a comment about being cast out from God's family. This is about discipline so that we're not judged with the rest of the world. We're always, if you've come to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, repented, then you're in Christ from now into eternity. Right? You will persevere until the end. Keep persevering. This is not about with, um, final judgment. It's about discipline. So what should we do about it? It means as we come to the Lord's table, we do need to examine ourselves. We need to ensure that we are repentant before the Lord. We need to ensure that we aren't harboring divisions among us. We need to be unified. Now, I said before, we can have difference among us, and there can be diversity among us. That's, that's okay. But we need to be united in Jesus as our Lord and our Saviour on the key doctrines of our faith and unify amongst on those. We can have differences in culture and all sorts of other things, but there can be no division, no cliques, no struggles for social power. Not amongst Christ's church. Especially not when we come to the Lord's table. So friends, this is what we're going to do now. We're going to come to the Lord's table, and I realise in that moment it was a little bit heavy. Let me remind you again of the beauty of the Lord's table. We're not coming because we're worthy. It's not moral perfection that means we can come eat and drink together. This is not a banquet for the saints. Sorry, this is a banquet for the saints, uh, not for the sinless. Not a sustain, it's a sustaining meal for repentant sinners, for those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, for those who know they've fallen short and to fall into the gracious arms of Jesus. He's saying, come to me. Come to the table, my child, my daughter, my son. Come, be with me. If you feel far from Jesus but you want him, come to the table. If you feel invigorated in your faith at the moment, come to the table. Whatever phase in between you are in your relationship with Jesus, he's calling you to come. There's no place for pride. No place for the vision, but there is a place for you. So that's what we're going to do now. Our worship team is going to come up, uh, and they are going to, in a sense, sing an item for us. And this is a moment for us to examine ourselves, a moment for you to come before the Lord. I know that often now we're, we're coming around the outside and get, getting out the front, which you do in a moment, and it takes away, in a sense, from this time. But they're going to sing that song, reflect on the words, reflect on your life, come before the Lord Jesus. And then after that, Nadine will come and pray and we'll come to the Lord's table together.